This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. <laughs> I got a laugh here. Uh, welcome to the program. Uh, I got a chuckle just uh, scrolling Twitter before I uh, hop on the air here. And a tweet from John Scott, which is in response, or really more just adding to a Mike Comito tweet. Mike Comito, our friend from Sudbury, who's a fine historian, fine author as well, does these sort of daily on this day in hockey history on Twitter, and it's really good. So on this day in 2012, the Rangers acquired John Scott from the Chicago Blackhawks in exchange for a fifth-round pick in 2012 to Travis Brown, uh, to which John Scott added... (laughs) Love this. My first day, I got to the rink early to make a good first impression. Ran into Torts in the hallway. He looked at me and asked what I was doing there. He had no idea that Sather had traded for me. He was like, all right, no idea what we're going to do with you, though. <laughs> ah, that's lovely, John. Speaking of tough guys with the New York Rangers, uh, you had a look at Matt, Rempe fa- Matt, Matt Rempe's face at all lately? You know how over the last couple of days, either on the uh, 32 pod or here on the program, we've sort of gently encouraged the Rangers to maybe have a chat with Matt Rempe and say, the reputation has been established. We know your game. It's very admirable that you want to fight every tough guy around the NHL. But maybe it's time to put a little bit of a leash on the puppy. Have a look at Matt Rempe's face these days. Maybe time to calm it down. Anyway, coming up on the program today, and thanks as always for stopping by, either on the radio network here or on Sportsnet 360, or if you're listening by way of podcast, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Elliot Friedman, uh, a little bit delayed. He's going to be joining me here at 1230 Eastern, so at the bottom of the hour, he's at the uh, Vegas-Toronto skate, one of 12 games on the go around the NHL. Also, we'll talk to Sean Reynolds about the Winnipeg Jets' Thomas Trance, about the Vancouver Canucks, and plenty on last night, and plenty on tonight, uh, which features what looks like a really good game between Dallas and Colorado, one of 12 games on the slate this evening uh, around the National Hockey League. I hope you didn't have plans because there are certainly some good games on the horizon. Okay, let's get right to our first guest. He's, uh, as we've talked about before, pretty much done it all uh, in the world of hockey, whether it's playing, whether it's agency, whether it's team, whether it's managing and now broadcasting. He's our good friend Brian Lawton from the NHL Network, and he joins me now. Lots, how are you today, pal? Good, and you left out a good friend to uh, a wrestling savant in Jeff Merrick. Oh, geez. <laughs> Were you ever into wrestling? Just as an, as an aside, since you went down. Because the, here's, here's the thing. Like, I've read so many books from hockey players who have sort of, because, you know, hockey players, you know, travel a lot. And every now and then you find yourself in the same town as the traveling circus and the wrestlers. And there's a lot of Canadian wrestlers and they want to meet hockey players. And Canadian hockey players want to meet Canadian wrestlers and vice versa with the Americans as well. Had you ever had any interactions, lots, in any of your stages of your career managing playing represent anything any any intersections with wrestling nothing with wrestling believe it or not nothing nothing wow never the the biggest connection i ever had with anybody in wrestling believe it or not is i used to go shoot a 357 pistol i had at a range here in town and i would always see jesse ventura and end up shooting with him. No way. It was a, yes, it was a great guy. He was a great guy. I always enjoyed it. Never liked where we went to shoot, but always enjoyed it. It was interesting. Uh, and then I feel like uh, I ran into Hulk down in Tampa, Hulk Hogan. A couple yep, of times. for sure. Yep. But that's it. Absolutely. Well, that, he, that, was that, a, he was a 
season ticket holder with the Tampa Bay Lightning, I want to say, or at least went to a went to a number of games. We have that one right lots. Yep. Yep, that is correct. He loved hockey. He would come around. Um, you know, the players always love this stuff. You know, people wouldn't know that. Sure. The players love to see celebrities. Uh, for me, Hulk Hogan, he, he was pretty big in my limited wrestling knowledge. I did watch the movie the other day <laughs> on the brothers. I'm sure. Did you see this movie? Oh, Von Erichs. Von Erichs. Like, I vaguely remember that as a kid. Yeah. Uh, but but it, it was yeah. Crazy. There's it was um. Yeah, it's been. I mean, it's it's one of those films that you know, if you're a wrestling fan and you know the history, you know, it, it's it's a major motion picture. So they play fast and loose with some of the facts, and some of them are are key. But the basis of the story, as I'm told, because I haven't seen it yet, is is pretty much bang on. But that's uh that's one that I'm very much looking forward to seeing. As I am very much looking forward to seeing as we transition here, lots trade deadline and who does what and when teams fall out and what they do when they fall out. Like, I'm curious, like take us, like put on the GM hat here for a second. Um, whether it's a team like the Seattle Kraken, for example, like Seattle's on this homestand right now where it's probably going to tell Ron Francis all that he needs to know. And this is a team that last night beat the Boston Bruins. So they're two and one on this homestand. They beat in Vancouver. They beat in the Boston Bruins. They have a game against Pittsburgh coming up later on this week. And I would imagine that before the Boston game, there'll be other other teams out there saying, okay, if this if they lose to the Boston Bruins, maybe that puts them in a position where they're going to start selling. We need to get ready to start making phone calls. Like I know managers talk all the time lots, but when you're a GM, how often were you looking at the schedule, looking at where teams are and saying, okay, here's where I'm going to pounce if they lose this game? All the time. It, it's minute to minute at this stage, particularly this year because – you know, just take hmm. Seattle, for example. Ron Francis has been talking about maybe I'll go this direction, maybe I'll go that direction. But the reality is they're still hanging around. I mean, you, you can't write them off that they yep. couldn't catch Nashville, even though Nashville is now playing much better and they look good. St. Louis looked like they were going to run a little bit. But everybody just keeps getting yep. forced back to the pack. And part of that, in my opinion, has to do with you know, some of the effects of what a salary cap creates. It's why a lot of owners, and this is unfortunate for managers, but it's why a lot of owners expect a lot out of their team because they know there's a tighter band. Mm. They know they're loosening the purse strings. So almost every general manager in this league can go out and build the team that they want to build within the confines of the salary cap. So there's a lot of fascinating things going on right now, but uh, start by turning the turning. The, I always say this: just turn the standings upside down, and go backwards. Start with the Hawks, the Sharks, the Ducks, the Jackets, the Coyotes. Mm-hmm. I think all those teams are a hundred percent committed to being sellers at this point. But other than that, you get into the Canadians, the Senators, the Sabers, the Penguins, who have played you know a lot fewer games than the other teams, and it's a confusing year to say the least. Never mind the standard. We just don't have any room that you hear from a lot of teams. For sure. You know, there, there are two teams, and, and you, uh, you already mentioned one of them, that I'm really fascinated by who, you know, we look at this time of year, and this is, like, Brian, this is kind of a test to see how committed you are to the rebuild. And the most obvious team are the Philadelphia Flyers, who now find themselves tucked into a playoff spot. Now the Drysdale injury complicates things. And the other is the aforementioned Nashville Predators, who find themselves tucked into a playoff spot as well. 
if you're committed to the rebuild, the playoff spot shouldn't matter. But you know how ownership feels about, sure, it's a rebuild, but we can make the playoffs this year. We can add a couple of bucks to the bottom line. Maybe this is just the found money year, and we're not really that committed to the rebuild. Uh, Whether you're Nashville, whether you're Philadelphia, two teams in playoff spots right now, do you look at these teams and say, okay, this is a test to see how committed you are? Because if someone comes around and offers something ridiculous for UC Soros, what does Barry Trotz do? If someone comes around and offers something crazy for Walker, for Sealer, for whomever, you know, we'll see how committed not just the manager, but maybe the owner as well is committed to the rebuild. Do you have a thought on these two teams? Because they might be the most interesting two right now. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, the the macro thought is, where are you going if you make the playoffs? Some people believe just get in and you never know. Yes, you can certainly say that, but that's not borne out on a percentage basis over time. And some guys like Brian Burke would tell you that's crazy. And other guys would say, no, it's not at all. You look at Edmonton's run. There's been lots of teams that have gone on runs and done really well that have gotten mm-hmm. in in the eighth spot, but not enough where I would divert when I knew or believed I was going to go through a rebuild in the near future. In Philly's case, I thought it was strange that they came out at it must have been 60 days ago when they said, well, you know, this isn't going to change anything. We're rebuilding. And they were just so heavily focused at that time i remember thinking i don't know they've hung in a lot longer than i thought the way towards coaches this could easily continue on they're a scrappy team uh are they really that committed to it and now we get there and you ask the question and i think that a lot of the players was walker or sealer or yes travis connecting maybe farther away than maybe we thought possibly back Mm, then yeah um you know, Philly's been through a lot. We're, we're not even mentioning, you know, Carter Hart and that whole ordeal. I don't know if we're allowed to mention that, but I just did. So they've been through a lot this year, yeah. and um, it's going to be fascinating to see how they play it. But I do believe that some of those players that I just mentioned are guys that are definitely, definitely available for anything that doesn't have to be the greatest offer ever, but I think it's got to be above average for them, so to speak. So Philly's going to want to claim victory on it, but it's not necessarily going to be that prototypical. We need a top prospect. We need a first-round pick, et cetera. You know, we always hear about, I'm speaking to Brian Lawton, we always hear about managers overvaluing their players. Do you think that maybe, maybe I'm putting too much in this Philly thing, but I really find it fascinating. But do you think that maybe Philadelphia is guilty of undervaluing their players, i.e., they're too good to rebuild? Like this team actually was a decent team all along. They just needed maybe that coach and a couple of breaks to go their way. Do you think that maybe they're too good to rebuild? I don't, I, I wouldn't say that they're too good to rebuild, in my opinion. It, it just depends on what does your final masterpiece look like. If, if you mm-hmm. create that in your head, knowing their management and where they're trying to get to, knowing the standard of excellence they're trying to get back to, I don't believe in a quiet right. room they sit there and say, we are just too good. I think it's been a fortuitous year for them. I think Torts has done an amazing job. 
Um, some of their younger players have really delivered. Uh, but I don't consider them a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. And that would be where I would cut it off and say, look, we're trying to get to mm. where we wake up every off season and we say, what can we do to get better? How do we dress up what we have already? But we're already a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. And I don't think they have those pieces right now. I don't think management believes they do. I don't believe management should tell anybody if that's what they think. I think they should keep managing their club. <laughs> that's just part of it. And uh, yeah, but I, but I, but I, I won't be surprised if they, if they of all teams, do trade some teams because even when you look at the playoffs, everybody's focused on Tampa and Detroit, and you know you got to catch those guys. Well, not so fast. Not the Washington Capitals, not the Pittsburgh Penguins, not the New Jersey Devils. Mm -hmm. They would have their sights set on the Philadelphia Flyers. So the Flyers could all of a sudden go from a top three seed to out of the playoffs very quickly. Right. Uh, it hasn't happened. Yeah. Torch continues to be amazing. That's why he's a good coach. That's why the other coaches really like him and, and like the way he coaches. The media may not feel that way all the time, um, but I know I like him. I think Torch is, uh, is a hell of a coach. Yeah. You know, I was having a conversation, and I agree with you on, on John Tortorella. I, th I think, to be honest with you, I think the media loves him. Uh, why not? He gives you, uh, he makes your job easy. And it, it, although it may seem like he makes your job hard because he's rough around the edges, he actually uh, makes media's job a, a lot easier. Let me, let me ask you about uh, a conversation that I had two weeks ago with a manager. And I was asking about Sean Walker specifically. And this manager said to me, um, you know, you guys are all talking about Sean Walker and where is he going and all these teams that are interested. He said, you know what most of us want at deadline? We want size. That's what deadlines for us. We go out there and we try to get size. We, more so than ever, we try to go out there and get size on our back end. What do you think of that comment? As much as you may talk about the puck mover and Sean Walker and all that, at the end of it, when deadline rolls around, it's like the the Labushkins of the world that get that end up, you know, getting moved. Yeah, it, it's a hard thought to get out of your mind because you know that even though we're trying to create a standard that's exactly the same in the regular season as the playoffs, we all know they yeah. get pushed to the limit in the playoffs. It's just yeah. human nature, and and I don't believe that'll ever change. To be honest with you, everything is ramped up. Uh, I feel like officials are, are are amped up and ready to go. They recognize what's on the line. The players do. Having played uh, in some playoff games, it, it's just undescribable how much the game changes, mm -hmm. how much the attitude changes the players. And GMs know that. And that's why they say that. They also know that it's hard to acquire top 4D. So if you're going to start tinkering with your third pair, Size is something that a lot of people strongly consider. I don't necessarily do that. I think it's very conditioned on the team that you're theorizing with. Um, you know, we could pick the Edmonton Oilers, their third pair, possibility that a guy like Brett Gulak could be moved out and exchanged with somebody else. They already have a partner in that third pair, Darnay, who's huge. Would it necessarily have yep. to be size? No. Uh, it would probably be more important that they can find somebody that maybe could upgrade the 14 to 15 minutes that Kulak is giving them on a nightly basis. So it, it doesn't have to be, but I understand that macro comment a hundred percent. 
the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, you know, this is an interesting season for them. Uh, the playoffs are not guaranteed. Uh, it's a team that has been quite successful, uh, an organization that you know quite well um, from your previous uh, time there as general manager. Um, when you look at Julian Brisebois right now, and let's not forget, too, that's what I keep reminding people, this is Tampa coming off a first-round exit last year. It's not as if, you know, they went to the conference final or they, you know, they, uh, you know, they, they went to the second round or whatever. Like, this is a team that's coming off a disappointment last season. Um, so trade deadline is an interesting one for them. They also have the Stamkos question sort of looming over their head in that decision and uh, where that may lead. How do you see Julian Brisebois and the Tampa Bay Lightning right now, knowing that, you know, no matter what Brisebois may want to do come trade deadline, not exactly sure he has the assets to get any of it done. How do you see Tampa right now, Lots? Yeah, I see it the way you're describing it. If you, certainly if you ask fans, but even other people, you know, in the NHL, scouts, et cetera, everybody always says the same thing about Tampa. They're so professional. They've earned that right to be called that. And yeah. when you say that there's four or five teams that are grinding it out down the end, Eight out of 10 people will say, well, I'm going to bet on Tampa. I'm not sure that that's yeah. current in the evaluation. I'm not sure that Julian Brisebois believes that. Mm. But again, he should never he should never say that he doesn't believe in his team. You just can't do those things when you're managing a club. But deep down, my suspicion is that he doesn't. It's part of the reason why Stamkos hasn't been re-signed. Although, to be fair to Julian, a lot of the biggest mistakes throughout you know, certainly the salary cap era have been rewarding guys for past performances versus future performances. True. And that makes total sense. You want to be loyal to your That's true. Yes, but you want to be you want to be loyal to your people, Jeff. A guy like Steven Stamkos, he's just he he has a little more grit in his game, but I used to tease him in those early mm-hmm. years that you're just an such an unconfrontational player. He just played the game so beautifully. He never really ended up like mm. players weren't even mad at him like they generally are for the guy that's scoring <laughs> all the goals or dominating. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's the that's who Steven really is. He's just a genuinely very likable human, a guy that cares, that's sincere, that can be serious, that can be funny. Um, it's a tough deal for the Lightning not to reward him if -hmm. that decision doesn't get made and he goes somewhere else it's probably the right business decision but the wrong moral decision so to speak and typically Mm -hmm. it's gone the other way in the past and it has not served clubs well in the end who in your estimation is the best team in the nhl now, right now, it's the Vancouver Canucks when I look at the standings. Uh, mm-hmm. The Boston Bruins are right there, but they have issues. The New York Rangers, uh, the Florida Panthers uh, look scary good. Uh, I think Dallas is of the belief, and rightfully so, that they could win the Stanley Cup. Who is the best team, Brian Lawton, in the NHL right now? Right now, for me, the Florida Panthers. May not be the sexiest mm. pick. Everybody thought they surprised last year in making it to the final. Um, they weren't ready to take that next step. I think they are this year. Uh, they've gotten a lot of out of their team. They've gotten a lot out of their team. But uh, their team is is just, when they get good goaltending, 
when Matthew Kachuk is yeah. bringing it, when I would never say no name D, but the, the totality of how well their D has played, there's a lot to like about the Florida Panthers. There's a couple other teams that I feel could jump over them, and my dark horse pick for that, like at the deadline here is what I'm referencing. But like if the Edmonton Oilers yeah. can go out, and even though they've talked about getting you know, potentially another top six forward. If they could just go out and upgrade their top four D with another top four D, maybe mm -hmm. switch out a Cody CC or there's really nobody else. He would be their number four D for me. I think that would be a game changer mm -hmm. for them. I, I really do. I, I, when the Edmonton Oilers, when Chris Knobloch took over and, and with the exception of the last couple games when they got back to playing their star players so much that they eliminated some players in their lineup. But when they play everybody and they get contributions from the lower end of their roster by virtue of including everybody in the games, they are a force to be reckoned with. I really believe that. But one more D is something that should be on their shopping list if they want to get over the top. I don't know that they, they would have the assets to get everything that they want. Um, I still think they're probably in the market as well for another forward. A jury is out uh, on the, the net mining. I think they want Stuart Skinner uh, to be that guy. I believe there are some that believe that Stuart Skinner can't be that guy um, in the in the playoffs. Where you know the, the the to be to be blunt, the scoring chances like the high danger score opportun scoring opportunities rise. Um, so I, I do wonder, like if there was. If if you had you know one trade to make for the Oilers for for you based on what you just said it's the blue liner and I know no team is perfect everybody has holes I know that you know you can poke holes in Vegas you can poke holes uh, maybe not in Florida they look pretty stacked you can poke holes in the Rangers certainly poke holes in in the Boston Bruins um, but when you look for holes in the Edmonton Oilers lineup is there anything that we're missing? One forward, a right side D, and maybe a starting goaltender. Knowing full well, they're only right now going to have a million dollars to deal with at the uh, at the yeah. deadline. Cap friendly says two point three, but they're running hot, only carrying sixty, so that's going to change. Is it you 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 spend your assets on that right side D for Edmonton? I, I think so, and they do have a bunch of trigger points. I mean, I talked about Kulak earlier; he's making two seven five. Yeah, Cody Seasons is making three two five. Warren Fogel's making 275. When you look at rosters, Jeff, all you're trying to do is evaluate the efficiency of what you're getting out, out of each player in terms of the amount of money you're paying them. They have some release valves, in my opinion, to add a significant player. They have the assets to do it. They have the organization that could be, you know, there's, there's lots of choices out there. Do you want to go out and it won't happen, so I'll use this example because I don't see the Battle of Alberta making a trade. <laughs> but uh, it won't happen where they go out and get <laughs> no. a, a Noah Hannafin, no. for instance, who would be perfect no. for them, even though he does, even though he's not a right shot team. Uh, but somebody of that yeah. quality would really change their fortunes. But you want to not only get somebody that, you know, you don't want to, you want to not only target somebody that would be good for you, but you know you have a chance of getting then you want to make sure that mm -hmm. you can have them for a couple of years because you're going to pay a fortune for these things. But Edmonton, like a few of these other teams you've mentioned, yes, they all the GMs have a wish list. 
They know they cannot fulfill all of them. Edmonton cannot get a top four D, a top six forward, add some depth in their bottom yeah. forwards, and add some depth in their goaltending position this year. That's just not going to happen. So this is really where guys like Ken Holland, this is where they earn their money as they make that decision. They were brilliant last year bringing in Matthias Eckel. That just, yeah, you know, that great. helped Evan Bouchard. Evan Bouchard has taken yeah. off. Uh, but there is a lot I like on Edmonton. And if they can somehow come through with that one big deal, then I do think that uh, they are certainly capable of beating Florida if both those teams made it to the finals. Well, here is um, here's another question that we'll, we'll we'll end on this conversation, and that is the Maple Leafs conversation. And there was a feeling that this was the season where Brad Treliving, as first year general manager of the Maple Leafs, was going to keep his powder dry. That uh, maybe this wasn't the year for the Maple Leafs. There's no point in spending assets; they don't have very many. Uh, they'd like to hang on to their high-end prospects. They don't want to let go of their first-round draft pick this year. Uh, they spent a lot of futures going for it in seasons past when Kyle Dubas was steering the ship. But I, I do wonder, from your perspective, you know, they've won seven games in a row. Tonight they're playing against the Vegas Golden Knights. Do they have to go for it now? Like, has this team forced Brad Treliving's hand here? I think they have in some ways. They've played better than we thought. They're only eighth in points, but I believe they're seventh in win percentage. Uh, they have some games in hand, I believe, on teams above them as well. So that even that could change. I wouldn't yep. quite say they're a top five team, but they are definitely a top eight team. And when you are a top eight team and you have the superstars they do, you have to give it a lot of consideration. I would say the same thing about them that I'm saying about Edmonton, though, is they must you must have four hmm. guys that you can go to the well on. And I can't say that with great confidence for them on the back end. And it's very odd because a lot of people always say, Brian, you always talk about D, D, D. You weren't even a D in the NHL. What are you talking about? <laughs> what I'm talking about <laughs> is all the best teams I've played on had yeah. D that could control the game. That's all it is. Like the D will improve the play of your goaltenders. The D will improve the play of your yes. forwards. I yes. don't believe any other yes. position yes. can change that as much. And you've heard this from me firsthand going back a lot of years, but yeah. that is the way I, I look at it. You can have a bunch of really good forwards and end up being crappy in the NHL. But if you have a bunch of really good feet, hmm. you are definitely competitive. And now you need to magnify that uh, in the playoffs. I'm the exact same way. I have a uh, I have a bias towards defensemen, uh, whether it's the draft, whether it's pro scouting. If you have two players who you consider to be of equal value, one's a forward, one's a defenseman, I default to the blue line all the time. To me, that's the, the, you know, with, with regard with with you know with with all deference to to goaltending, which is you know the 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 wild card and everything. Uh, I think you build it on the back end. I'm with you. Yeah, you build it on the back end, and good things happen. Look, of, you know, of recent note, going back to you know last year with the Stanley Cup final, or Tampa, or Colorado, or uh, St. Louis Blues, for that matter. You know, you need solid defense to win in this yeah. league. Um, on that, we got to wrap. Um, lots, always a pleasure. You be well. Thanks so much for spending time with me this afternoon. And we'll catch up soon, my friend. We'll catch up soon. Continued success. Always my pleasure to be on with you, Jeff. Thanks. There he is, Brian Lawton, who has done it all in hockey, folks. Uh, he's worn a number of hats.
as a player, first overall draft pick, as a player agent, as a general manager, now uh, with the NHL Network, and he's here for a number of years as well. Um, always enjoyed covering junior hockey with lots specifically. Uh, all right, hitting a break. The Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Hour two here. Thomas Trance coming up out of the hour. Get on the Vancouver Canucks page. Never a dull moment there, right? Whether it's what's going on on the ice. That was a heck of a game against Boston Bruins on the weekend. Or what's going on off the ice. Is Elias Pettersson going to re-sign this team? Where's he at? Does he really want to be here? What does all of this mean? What does Jim Rutherford have up his sleeve come trade deadline time? We'll see. We'll talk to Dranster about that coming up at the bottom of the hour. In the meantime, big day with the Winnipeg Jets. Tonight they face off against the St. Louis Blues. Today, Gary Bettman uh, in uh, Winnipeg today to talk to corporate sponsors, uh, to talk to Winnipeg ownership, to try to um, figure out some type of plan to uh, make sure that the Winnipeg Jets have a robust season ticket base. Here to comment on everything, Sean Reynolds, who covers the Winnipeg Jets, certainly for Sportsnet. He joins me now. Sean, how are you today? I'm doing great, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I am doing well. So sort of give us a a scene set, not so much on the ice about the players and the games and the game against St. Louis, but give us a sort of scene set for the stands and the subscriber base and what's happened, you know, going back a a few seasons, even if you want to take it all the way back to when the Thrashers became the Jets 2.0. If you can give us a, a snapshot of where the Jets market is at right now, that would be great. I, I think it's a real mix of emotion. And I think it depends on which part of the fan base that you talk about. I think there's a lot of people that are really nervous because this is the second time now the owner of the Winnipeg Jets is, uh, has gone on national media and, you know, talked about the importance of the fans needing to be uh, in there. I mean, this has become a national story twice now uh, about the Jets need to get yeah. more people in the building. So there's a lot of people who are nervous. I mean, I get lots and lots of texts, uh, lots of the audience, you know, they get, they, they have access to through Twitter and different means. And I spend a lot of time texting with a lot of the fans and I get a lot of people talking about how nervous they are. I get a lot of people thinking that the Winnipeg Jets are going now. A lot of people are doomsday about this. A lot of people are saying, well, this just shows that hockey never worked here uh, in Winnipeg. And mm. so you get that segment of the fan base that I think is, you know, that this is concerning to them. This is alarming to them. They're worried about losing their team. I was 18 when they, the Jets left the first time. Uh, it's devastating. It feels like you lose a family member because people love hockey here and it gets ripped out. So there's those people who are a little shell shocked because they've gone through this before and they're worried it's going to happen again. There's a lot of people um, who, you know, kind of slough this off and say this is just an attempt at selling tickets. Uh, and then you get a lot of people who are angry, right? There, there's a segment of the fan base that are angry and angered by this, angered by the tact of going to the national media. I had it described to me as some people feel like it's the Winnipeg Jets running and tattling on their fans. You know, a fan base that mm. sold this building out for near a decade and one is the, was the one of the most you know vibrant fan bases 
if you'd ever been to a game here before, I think you have. If you come to a playoff game, oh, yeah. it's like it's oh, like yeah. nothing else, right? So I think there's a segment of the fan base that almost feel angered or maybe <clears throat> maybe even hurt that they've been such a good fan base for so long, and now all of a sudden they look at a national level like like they're not supporting their team very much, you know. And yes, there's less people mm-hmm. in the building than there has been. As the Jets have been good this year, the fans base has grown but i think there's you know a lot of people who are just saying get in the building as quick as we can we need to support this and i think there's a certain amount number of people who were in that building who left that building they left it mm-hmm. for a reason and they're waiting to see true north and the owners of the winnipeg jets show them maybe that the, the, the appreciation that they didn't feel and the reason that they left which of those and there, there's a lot there that's a very thorough answer i try to draw a couple of things out there sean that's that that's really thorough let me let me try to focus initially on emotions because you're right this is at the heart of it as much as it is a financial story um this is also an emotional one and i always try to, to default to emotion first um which of those emotions you know anger uh, outrage concern fear um, which do you think in this very specific case is the most appropriate one? Like not, not the, not the reactions that are, that are way out at the, at the extremes or at the fringes, but closer to the center here, like which ones do you think are the most sort of salient or important emotions here for Jets fans? Yeah. Of the ones I, of the ones I suggested, I don't think any of them are Jeff. Like I think this is a cooler heads need to prevail kind of situation i Hmm. think it's that on both sides like i very much look at this as a business transaction and a conversation that needs to happen between a business and its customers and i think at the very heart of this there's customers that were i don't hear a ton of stories about people saying you know i just got bored and i didn't want to go anymore people aren't bored of the winnipeg jets they love the winnipeg jets um, there's definitely a financial uh, aspect to this. Uh, I always say whenever I talk about this, I get to go to the games for free up in the press box. So I don't have to shell out the money to go to every single game. Uh, so I'm not going to sit there and say people should be going there. If your financial situation allows it, then then that's great. We can have that conversation after that. But I'm not going to be the guy who tells someone to skip their mortgage or maybe sure. not have their kid, you know, have their kid get student loans. Uh, to get through this. But to me, this is just very much a a conversation between the fans. And and I really do think it it should be specifically with the fans that have walked away, right? Like there's a segment of the population, a segment of the fan base that's frustrated. And that frustration has led them to leaving the building. I don't know necessarily that going to the national level and saying you're going to lose your team if you don't do something about this, what that yeah. does, I think, is it makes that segment of the fan base feel like they're not being heard. It makes them feel like they're being told, listen, I know you have concerns. We don't care about those concerns. You just got to get back into these seats here right now. So Mark Chipman mm-hmm. is taking steps right now. Great story. Uh, he called a, uh, um, a former season ticket holder, asked him what he could do to get him to come back. They said, well, why don't you send you know, one of the players down to my house uh, and they can skate on the ice with a bunch of the kids in the neighborhood. And Josh Morrissey and Mark Shifley showed up, right? Those are the kind of things that I think yeah, need to happen. That. These conversations between the two where you're starting to make the people who, because I've heard the story time and time again, a certain segment of this fan base and, and uh, people who own season tickets stopped feeling like they were valued. 
And I think it's just a, a I think hmm. it's a pretty simple business transaction where they just need to make those people feel valued again. So I don't think people need to be angry to get this done here. I don't think they need to be scared. I don't think any of those extreme emotions that you're talking about are the answer here. I think it's just two people who yeah. want that, two groups who want the same thing working towards that. Well, well why, and maybe you already sort of hinted at this, you know, maybe feeling a little bit abandoned by, by Winnipeg Jets ownership here. But why did people leave? Is it as simple as, I mean, first of all, the timing of this is very weird because, you know, the Winnipeg Jets are one of the top teams in the NHL and they're playing some great hockey and some really exciting hockey as well. So the timing is a little bit curious. Yeah. But why did Jets fans start to sort of fritter away from this team? So I I can't give you a scientific answer on that because that would take you know focus groups and it would take you know talking to a wide swath of people sure. uh, and and I know as a reporter when you talk about anecdotes I could tell you twenty stories about fan you know uh, people who had given up their tickets and maybe yeah. those are the only twenty people who have that story so it's far from scientific but what I would hear time and time again and I think Mark Chibman alluded to in uh, an article that or an interview that he did recently where he talked about this wasn't a sales organization it was a service organization and he didn't think that that they were a very good service organization to me that that's the thing that that i think everyone needs to hear more of like when he said that there needed to be a drilling down into what does that mean what where did you think that you fell short here? The stories that I hear time and time again, there's a guy who wanted to buy season tickets. Here's my money. Take my money. I want season tickets this year. And he was right. told, well, no, you have to sign up for four years. And he was like, I, I can't lock down to that, but here's my money. Here's a season ticket sold this year. And he was turned away. Um, I think in essence, an overarching, and this is, this is hmm. what I've taken. This is by, by no means scientific, but the Winnipeg Jets used to have a long lineup of people who wanted season tickets. And I think what Mark Chipman is talking about when he talks about them being a service organization, because they didn't have to sell tickets and they weren't doing very good with service is people run into issues. Uh, I, I need to switch this seat over to this seat here, or, or I need something uh, here, or, or I need some help staying in and basically i think what was happening time and time again is because they had a lineup of people waiting to get into the building that there were a lot of instances where the winnipeg jets said you know what too bad we're not accommodating you you can leave and let the next person stay in there well that tact works as long as you've got a lineup but when the lineup is gone yeah. and you've told a lot of different people your concerns don't mean anything to us because you, you yeah. we've got someone waiting to take that seat. That only works as long as there's a lineup. The lineup disappeared. There's a lot of people who feel that they weren't served. And that's, I think, where we find ourselves today. That is a great, great answer and doesn't just apply for hockey teams, but that is a great, uh, a great business answer once, once those yeah. people start to go. You know, it, it's interesting, too. You know, I've always felt that you're not in trouble. Like, if someone chooses not to buy a ticket, Okay, that's that's a sign of concern, certainly for an organization. But there's one that's even worse, and that is when a fan buys a ticket but chooses not to go. That Ooh. to me is like that's death knell. That is that is death knell. I'd rather as an owner, like it's going to sound weird, but I'd rather have a fan just not buy the ticket in the first place because the decision not to go means it's over. Like, I've spent money, and I'm still saying, nah, you know what? I'm not going to go. I don't get the sense, correct me if I'm wrong, that the Winnipeg Jets are at that level right now. Are they? 
Oh, you're absolutely nailing it. Like that is not happening. Like people still want into this building <clears throat> and there's, they definitely don't have the problem of people buying and just not showing up. The passion is still there. Right. The passion is fully on display. People haven't turned away from the Winnipeg Jets. <clears throat> and I think what's happened over this year when there, you, a little while ago, there was sometimes 11,500 in the building. It's slowly building up. The buildings are getting more full, yeah. more full. They've had some sellouts. And, and that's the really good team that's that's selling it, right? Like the Winnipeg Jets are one of the best teams in the NHL right now, and that's helping to sell this. But let's be honest with ourselves. Every team needs to be able to handle a scenario by which the team isn't very good. You've got to be able to get through those lean years. I'm not breaking any news here. The Winnipeg Jets aren't going to be top of the league for the next 20 years straight. And if they can't handle a year yeah. where they're down, then then hockey doesn't belong in this market. I hate to say that, but I say that because I don't think that that's the case here. To your point, people aren't buying. Uh, mm. This is one of these situations where I remember this for years with the Leafs. People said, you know, people need to vote with their wallets. If they don't like what's happening, they need to vote with their wallets. That doesn't happen in, in Toronto. It sells out regardless. There's a lot of corporate interest, whatever. Right. This, to me, is a voting with their wallets, but it's not voting with their wallets because they don't like what they've seen on the ice. It's a voting with their wallets because they don't feel as a customer they've been treated the way a customer should be treated, especially, Jeff, given the idea that these are people who've been season ticket owners for like a decade. They've foregone buying cars. Sure. One person talked about, I could have I could have purchased an investment property and been making money off that if I would have hmm. spent that money here rather than there. Uh, so th right. these are people who have given a lot and feel like they just want a little bit of recognition back. Uh, and, and so it's not the people buying tickets and not showing up. They want to show up. They just want to make sure that they're, they're, they're treated properly and showing up. So when, when I think about the Winnipeg Jets and the in-game experience, uh, listen, we think of the whiteouts. Uh, I think of an incredibly loud and I'll be honest with you, Sean, creative fan base, yeah. <laughs> like two of, the, yeah. two of the most creative people you're going to find anywhere around the NHL exist in, in, in Winnipeg. Um, but I, but I also do wonder, like, is there anything like given the parameters of what the NHL allows you to do and doesn't allow you to do during the games, is there anything that you think the Winnipeg Jets could be doing as far as the in-game experience goes to help, oh, yeah. you know, to help fans stick to the Jets a little bit more. Like, I get that it's difficult. You know, Elliot and I were talking about this on the podcast, and I was throwing out, you know, like, even just the idea of, like, allowing every team in the NHL to personalize, you know, their playing surface, and that would affect their roster construction and be different. Like, I don't know. You just throw different ideas on the table. But given what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do, like, it's very, very strict what you're allowed to, to do as an organization by way of the NHL, is there anything you think Winnipeg can be doing differently? I get the customer service point of view, and that is, that's legitimate, and that's bad. Like, I'll just be blunt, that's bad. But is there anything as far as in-game experience that Jets could be doing here to make it more fun for a paying customer? Almost everything, Jeff, is the answer to that. I mean, Mark Chippen was asked about the game day experience a number of years ago, and I remember what he said at that time was, the Winnipeg Jets fans don't need that. And, and at that time, he was right. Like, the Winnipeg Jets fans were the show for years. Like, yes. the great chance. Yes. The, 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 
the way they were. I remember reading this great article, and I can't remember where the hockey writer was from, but he went on a trip following whatever team it was. Let's say it was the Dallas Stars, and he got to Winnipeg, and he stopped writing about the trip. He said, here, I'm just going to say the game was 2-1 Stars, but let's get to the real show here, and that was the fans. And he went to describe how amazing it was inside this building here and how great the fans were. They truly were the show. And so for years, there didn't need to be in-game promotions. You didn't need to have really great music. You didn't really need, you know, the little uh, airships going around dropping hats and stuff like that. You didn't need any of those things because the Winnipeg Jets fans were the show themselves. But in that process, I remember Mark Chipman saying, we don't need to do those things because of these fans. But my take on that was always like, listen, if I've got a great spouse, a great husband or wife, and they do all the things, you know, they treat me great. They've always got my back. They always support. They, they do a lot. They take their load of the chores. They do a lot of cooking and cleaning and all those different kind of things. And they're the kind of person who's like, well, you know, I don't need flowers. I don't need a box of chocolates. I don't need a present or a, a day at the spa here. It doesn't mean you don't get it for them. It doesn't mean that you don't show them that support, <laughs> right? And I think at one point... Yeah. Um, as, as the building kind of, you know, that energy seems to subside, there is, you know, every NHL team has this. There's a job, someone has a job with an NHL team to bring that energy back to the fans to aid them in getting back up there. And I don't think yeah. that existed for a long time with the Winnipeg Jets. So, so I, I'm not going to say anything specific. That's not my expertise, but I'll say it's a blank canvas here there's so many different things and i can tell you i go down to chicago and i'm blown away by the music guy every time i go down there you walk in there he's got that building <laughs> humming, right and, and every yes. you know, there's so many you go to nashville and they do so many great things right so i, I won't say there's specific things that need to be done because i don't know enough about this it's not my job uh and i don't know that it would i'd provide value in suggesting anything but the winnipeg jets could look around the nhl and the nba and the nfl and so on and so forth and see some of the things that are being done and no doubt there's room to bring that into this building here to help get that crowd Mm -hmm. energy back and maybe you know sell fans not just on the product on ice but on the overall experience of going to a Jets game this is this is um first of all all, these answers are very thorough um this is excellent Sean uh we have one final question on this and I do want to ask you about the team and the game tonight they're playing the St. Louis Blues by the way everybody there's an actual hockey game tonight um How much of what we're talking about here right now, Sean, um, fueled the idea of bringing back Mark Shifley and, and the goaltender as well? Uh, how much are we looking at, you know, the Winnipeg Jets, you know, got to the edge, looked over and said, oof, this is what a re maybe it's like a lot of market research comes back. You know, what's it going to look like if we get rid of Hellebuck and Shifley and uh, what's the attendance going to be like? Uh, what are fan, how are fans going to react? How much of what we saw with Kevin Shevel day off in the off season was a byproduct of the Winnipeg Jets having a good hard think and looking at numbers and going through data about what a rebuild would look like in Winnipeg and saying, we can't afford that we can't allow that to happen to the winnipeg jets we need to bring back double nickels and the goaltender well i'll tell you this um mark chipman the kind of owner he is he's not in this just to have an nhl team and and limp through he's in it to win it right and and so you can Mm -hmm. see it wasn't just this last year it's been a number of years in a row the jets make moves 
to to try to stay good now and still be good in the future. And they're doing that right now. They're one of the best teams in the NHL, and they got guys like Colby Barlow and Rutt McGrady and guys like that coming up here. Yeah, they've got they've always got a plan for the present and the future. They do it. I think they're one of the best teams in the NHL at doing it, which is why they've they've been a danger. Uh, in the NHL, maybe haven't you know reached their full potential, but they've been a danger in the NHL for quite some time. So give Mark Chipman the credit, and that part of what he's doing here when we talk about the attendance issue is he doesn't just want to limp through and have a team, and he doesn't want to be that guy who's got to turn around and sell Mark Shifley or Connor Hellebuck. He wants to have a winning product on yeah. the ice, so he wants a fan base that can put enough butts in the seats to make sure they've got the finances for that. I do just want to make it clear uh, when I talk about this, um, you're the one who had told me about uh, um, Mark Shifley being, you know, approached and told that he would be traded. This isn't necessarily a master plan here. Andrew Kopp came rolling through town, and one of the stories we did on Hockey Night that night, I had chatted with him and about whether he was surprised or not that Mark Shifley had stayed there. The story that he told me was he because he wears an A in Detroit. He was in a leadership yeah. meeting, and he got out of it, and his teammates told him, "Hey." Scheif just re-signed, and he said, BS, I know you're pulling my leg. And they said, no, he signed long-term in Winnipeg. <laughs> and he was like, no, I know it's BS, because he had just been talking with Scheifele. They talk every day, and everything that he yes. talked about with Scheifele was that he was leaving Winnipeg. And then he picked up his phone to confirm it and had seven texts from Scheif saying, things changed, I just re-signed. It happened and turned like that. Yeah. So the Winnipeg Jets were exploring other options. They ended up landing back on this. It is an overall theme that if they were moving guys, they were going to try and do it in a way that they still competed right now. They were not tearing yeah. down. So so both answers are right. But this wasn't a master plan by Kevin Dayoff. that Kevin Dayoff stayed patient and a, a window opened. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the plan all along. Uh, it came together at the last minute. Fascinating. Um, okay, a couple of things about tonight's game. By the way, that was uh, 21 minutes of a really thorough analysis and snapshot oh, of what's geez. happening right now with the Winnipeg Jets. Off the like so that was really good. Uh, if, 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 if you have a little bit of oxygen left, I wouldn't mind talking about Laurent Bossois and uh, yeah. how Rick Bonus has been talking about him. You have a, a, a couple of thoughts there on the, the Winnipeg Jets. The other Winnipeg Jets goaltender. Yeah, uh, Lauren Bossois has played his role absolutely perfectly this year. Um, think about this. Lauren Bressois signed with the Winnipeg Jets. Just what we were talking about, about the expectation that Hellebuck and Shifley were going to be here. That wasn't yep. the expectation. Lauren Bressois came here thinking he was going to have a chance to be a starting goaltender. His quote to us at the beginning of the year was, yes, he outdueled Connor Hellebuck in the playoffs last year. Then he got injured. He won the cup, but he wants to be the guy on the ice hoisting the cup when it happens, not the guy who got injured yeah. and the team went on to win without him. So he came here with the expectation he was going to be the starting goaltender. Then the Hellebuck contract happened, and now you're locked in as being the backup guy. Um, he's handled it perfectly to the point that if you take a look at his numbers, yeah. there is, and I will scream this from the rooftops, there is no difference between the Winnipeg Jets whether they have Connor Hellebuck in that or whether they have Lauren Brassois in that. And one of the things that Rick Bonus does to show that faith in him is the Jets don't play bottom-feeding teams and throw their backup in because it's the safest place to do it. They just finished playing the Arizona Coyotes and before that the Chicago Blackhawks, two teams with a combined one win between them yep. in each of their last 12 games. 
Lauren Bressois goes against really tough competition because their head coach knows that their chances of winning are as good with him in the net as they are with Connor Hellebuck. That is an extreme compliment, I think, by me mm-hmm. and also by the head coach. Lauren Bressois has taken the situation that he could have acted disappointed in and instead has turned out and been immaculate in that role and because hmm. of that he's going to earn a really good opportunity outside of Winnipeg next year. So I'll, I'll be honest with you when I look at statistics like that and I know there's going to be some that especially anyone who has access to Steve Alicat's clear sight analytics is going to start screaming at me the minute that I mention this but it sort of dovetails your point. Um, you look at the save percentages of both these goaltenders. Sorry, haters of save percentage. I get it, but until ClearSight is a publicly viewed document, uh, this is what we have to go by. Um, so Connor Hallibuck is at a 925, and to your point, Laurent Bossois is at 920. That is exceptional. Now, taking nothing away from these two goaltenders, because at the end of it, you have to make the save. But whenever I see two goaltenders that have elevated save percentages, I always say, Yes, it's a reflection of the goalie, but it's also a huge reflection of the blue line as well. Like when I see two goaltenders with diff- like significantly different save percentage, like say, okay, that's a good snapshot of where these two goalies are at. But where it gets fuzzy is when they're both in the 920s. And I always say to myself, A, respect to the goalies, but two, how much of that is because of Morrissey and DeMello and Pionk and Sandberg and Dylan? How much of those save percentages are a reflection of the of the uh, of the back end, Sean? I thank you so much for asking this question because I've been a real big. I've had the megaphone out. I've been screaming this and trying to get it to reach all parts <laughs> of the country because so many people turn and they look in Winnipeg and they say, "Oh, they're doing really good defensively. They're not allowing a lot of goals." It must be Connor Hellebuck, right? In years past, that was true. That hasn't been the case this year. And to your point about the defense, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, everyone looked at the Winnipeg Jets defense and thought, you know, it's on the smallest side. Uh, it's not the largest name. They probably don't have a very good defense group. They've been phenomenal, but it's not just them. It's the whole team, the way they defend, and it's the Rick's bonus system. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll tell you this. I, I went and I crunched these numbers. I'm no data analyst, but I thought this would be interesting. I had our stats department huh. crunch. Um how far, because one thing when you watch Jets games, you notice the teams just float shots from distance quite often. They keep shots into right. in spots where they're not very dangerous. I had them crunch the numbers, and at one point, I don't know what they are lately, but Connor Hellebuck had, was facing, out of all the goaltenders that have played this year in the NHL, only seven of them had faced shots that on average were further away. Basically, Connor Hellebuck's average shot that he was facing at hmm. some point this season was 37 feet from the net. Now, go ask your goaltending friends how they think they would do if the average shot they faced was 37 feet from the net. There was one game the Jets played this year. I think right. uh, it, they had 28 shots total. Ten of those 28 shots came from the other side of the blue line. So, basically... Connor Hellebuck's doing great, and hmm. he needs to be what he's been this year. I've likened him to this in the past. He used to be Dominic Kashuk, constantly bailing his team out. Now yeah, he is true. Brodeur playing behind a really good defensive system. So to, it's a long way, and you talked about me being thorough. I think it's another way of saying I've got verbal diarrhea right now. But 
Um, th- th- this is a team uh, that is doing a really good job of making it easy on their goaltenders, uh, and both their goaltenders' numbers are reflecting that. Sean, you're the best. You used up a lot of oxygen, a lot of your day, a lot of the oxygen that you had allotted for this day, you used on this show. Thank you so much uh, for it. That was really thorough, and I can tell. Listen, how passionate you are as a as a Winnipegger as well about this uh, about this hockey team and its future. Thanks for sharing all of this today. Much appreciated, Sean. Enjoy the game against the Blues tonight. Hey, I will, and I'll say this. I do a little bit of hosting, and I know that hosting, when they do it properly, leads to really great conversations. I'm just going on because you're directing. You hit all the right spots. Uh, It's nice to come on a national platform and see someone who just keeps getting right to the heart of it over and over with the right questions. Blind squirrel. I'm telling you. Blind squirrel. Reynolds, blind squirrel. Blind squirrel. Thanks, pal. You be good. Yep. The great uh, Sean Reynolds covers the Winnipeg Jets for Sportsnet uh, tonight. Uh, today, rather, Gary Bettman there to uh, discuss with the organization, amongst other things, how to make the uh, season ticket base a little bit more robust. Essentially, how do we get more people in the building? How do we sell more tickets? You know, that's an interesting point by Sean as well. Like, you can only do, you can only treat your customers poorly for so long until your customers finally say, I'm keeping my wallet in my jeans. Or... You know, I'm taking my money out of my jeans, but I'm not going to spend it there. I'm going to spend it somewhere else. Um, this said, that is not a, I don't think, representation of where hockey is at in Winnipeg. I think it's maybe just the fact that it seemed at times maybe that organization, you know, didn't love Winnipeg Jets fans as much as Winnipeg Jets fans love the Winnipeg Jets, if that makes sense. And to the previous point, too, about... You know, not needing the show to go along with the game. The fans themselves are the show. I get that. Because for the longest time, the Winnipeg Jets fans were the show. Right? Like every time Ovechkin would roll through and, you know, and they'd scream, you know, Crosby's better. Or when, you know, when uh, a team that Ryan Miller was playing for and Ryan Miller was in net, the place would chant silver medal. Like, come on, man. That's gold. That's the good stuff. And that's all spontaneous now you have to help create an environment where that spontaneously can happen and i think you need to nurture it and take that momentum and harness it and continue it as best you can but i don't think you can just rely on i think you just rely on them being the show period right the old line and there's an old line in broadcasting don't let your listeners write your punchlines it's kind of the same thing. You can for a while, but after a while, you need to do something here. I wonder what happens after all of this, if there is anything that the Winnipeg Jets can do, the Winnipeg Jets will do, uh, to try to spread some love amongst their uh, former season ticket base. Because I think there's only so many times that Josh Morrissey and Mark Scheifley can show up in someone's backyard rink to play shinny and then go inside over a pot of coffee and say, now let's talk about our season ticket package here. It's nice that they did it. But it's not their job. It's not their job. Like, I love it. Like, I love those visuals. Penguins do this. A lot of teams do this where, like, Sidney Crosby shows up to someone's house to hand them, like, physically hand them their season ticket package for the year. Those are great. And to watch the expressions, like, that's a lot of fun. But good on Shafley and Morrissey for showing up at a backyard rink to help, you know, juice ticket sales and talk to former ticket subscribers and try to get them back into the mix. But I don't think you can rely just on the players to do that side of the business for you. We'll see where this goes with the Winnipeg Jets. But big day and also Winnipeg Jets game tonight as they face off against the St. Louis Blues. By the way, um, Jeremy Rutherford, who covers the St. Louis Blues um, for The Athletic, was on a radio show in St. Louis yesterday where he was asked about 
Jordan Cairo and his future. And, you know, uh, Rutherford mentioned something that we had been wondering about for a while, uh, which is, you know, what are the odds that Cairo gets traded before his no trade kicks in? And Rutherford, who is like very plugged into the St. Louis Blues, said probably 50 or 60 percent, um, which everybody, you know, sort of grabbed certainly last night online and said, Jordan Cairo is getting traded. That's it. No, let's pause. I'm sure if they could with that ticket, Doug Armstrong, I think, would like to move Jordan Cairo. I just don't know with that salary commitment where he's going to fit. Like, have a look at your lineups around the NHL and how many can accommodate the Jordan Cairo contract. There's really not many at all. You know, that's 8.125, identical to Robert Thomas, given where he's at in his career and his production. Which team's taking that on? So I know it sounds sensationalistic, but I think Rutherford was quite tempered with his comments about whether Jordan Cairo can get traded before the no trade kicks in. That would be a difficult move. On that, we'll take a break. We'll come back, talk to Thomas Drantz about the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, great game on the weekend against the Boston Bruins. What's on the horizon for them? What does Rutherford and Alvin have up their sleeves for trade deadline? All things Vancouver with Drancer in a moment. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your podcasts. Back in a moment. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Vancouver Canucks back in action tonight as they face off against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And never a shortage of headlines around Vancouver. It's the one thing I've always admired about the market. No matter what's happening, there's always something that's happening. Even when things are quiet, they're noisy. It's a delight. Joining me now is Thomas Strance, um, who is no stranger to this program, no stranger to uh, Vancouver Canucks media. He is a longtime, uh, longtime analyst. Uh, you can read him in The Athletic. You can listen to him on Sportsnet 650, and you can listen to him here now. Drancer, how are you today? I'm doing well, Jeff. Should be a fun one. These two teams had a, a game filled with bad feeling, ill intent, uh, a close one about, about a month ago when but, Vancouver swung through the uh, Pittsburgh. So I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, should be fun, but I thought that, you know, Rutherford Alvin, it was all love to the Pittsburgh Penguins. They, they keep taking players from the Pittsburgh Penguins and executives <laughs> from the Pittsburgh Penguins. I thought, you know, much like you remember when the, the big symmetry was Philadelphia and Los Angeles, and that was like the, mm. the trade route, the NHL Silk Roads. It seems as if now it's Vancouver-Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's sort of reversed. I mean, the classic Silk Road team for the Vancouver Canucks is the Florida Panthers, <laughs> right? That's That's been the long time, like Jovanovski, Luongo, I mean, Bure going sure. back, right? These franchises have a lot of players in common. And yeah, yeah it has become the Pittsburgh. I mean, the, the, the boys from Pittsburgh basically dot this entire roster, uh, whether it's <laughs> Sam Lafferty, Teddy Bluger, I mean, up and down. Uh, no one would be surprised if it was a, a player with Penguins Connections. Who, who the Canucks brought in mm. ahead of the deadline, too. That's just kind of how it works. Familiarity, we know how powerful that is in, in a people sure. business like hockey. 
I, listen, and I understand that too. Like, I know that some fans may look at it and get frustrated. like, oh, I'm going back to the same well. But it doesn't matter what business you're in. You'll go back to the people that you know and the people that you've worked with because, you know, the, the fear of the unknown is legit. Right. Like you just don't. I mean, in a lot of ways, when you're bringing someone in, you can do as much, you know, research as, as you want and talk to as many people as you want. But there's nothing comes close to I worked with this person or I was part of this organization with this person for X amount of years. Like in a lot of the different capacities that, that you've worked in hockey at Drancer. I mean, you know that probably better than anyone. Absolutely. And, and you know, I do think it's particularly interesting when it comes to glue guys. Right. I mean, this Vancouver Canucks team is especially dotted with Penguins alumnus uh, when when it comes to, you know, Casey DeSmith, the backup, Ian Cole, veteran shutdown defender, Teddy Bluger, first guy over the boards when, uh, you know, the Canucks take a penalty. So, you know, those roles in particular, I mean, we all know more than anything else, the job description calls for trust, building it with your coach, building it with the organization. Uh, you know, trust is a powerful thing, and that's where I think familiarity actually can be an edge uh, for you if you're evaluating on that basis. Okay, Elias Patterson. Let's just get right yeah. to to this one. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, I, I think of like this is going to sound really pretentious. You know, the the classic John Cage composition four thirty three, which is just you know trying to approach absolute silence, and actually everything around the silence becomes the performance. Right now, there is mm-hmm. silence from Elias Pettersson, but outside of that silence, that is the real story, which is the noise and the questions and the wondering and the speculation around what that silence means. What do you think it means? You know, I I really don't know because Pettersson really hasn't talked about it since he gave the interview with Elliot on the boat. And... On the you boat. Know, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's been very disciplined, very disciplined about avoiding the yes. topic, right? And one thing that's worth noting is a lot of this noise comes from without, right? I mean, uh, Pedersen has handled mm. maybe three questions all year. This isn't something that people are asking him and his teammates about on like an overwhelming daily basis. In fact, for much of the season, I've kind of rejected the notion that it's a distraction because being around the team as I am, you know, I don't see it much. Um, occasionally, you know, right. a Swedish reporter will come into the locker room and Pedersen will uh, deke them out when, when they try and ask them, ask him about <laughs> his future here. Uh, he's done the same with Vancouver yeah. media. And, you know, I, I mean, he wasn't even asked about it. Like even at the all-star game, uh, Jeff, in the center of the universe, like at, you know, Scotiabank yeah. place with, with the assembled hockey media, he's up on the dais with Elias Lindholm, who'd just been acquired and no one asks him about the contract. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's Teflon. It's been amazing to watch how little this has stuck to him. And yet, you know, from without, the, the national updates are um, paint a story, and, and I think an accurate one, of increasing internal frustration about the fact that Pedersen's, you know, relatively silent stance isn't just opposed for the media, but appears to be matched by a lack of activity, a lack of traction, in terms of internal talks Mm -hmm. you know we are at the point where i I suppose it's a little bit unusual for a player uh, you know to get this close to the expiry of their contract given his caliber right given who he is what he represents to this franchise given how essential he is to this club's you know retooling experiment that has been so successful this season but 
we we've seen star players get to this point and beyond it, right? I mean, we've seen Steven Stamkos take meetings with the mayor of Toronto. We've seen, you know, Henrik yep. and Daniel yep. Sedin have a variety of different Canadian hockey executives uh, connecting through Frankfurt to try and meet them at the Stockholm airport uh, on the eve of free agency. <laughs> like we we've seen this stuff happen. So, yes. um, <laughs> so, you know, it's not completely outside the realm of, uh, of, of what we might expect, but you know, it, it is interesting. And, and the fact that the organization itself appears to be at least, you know, somewhat unnerved uh, about the lack of cost certainty with probably their most important forward, certainly their most important forward going forward. Um, you know, I, I think right. that's an interesting dynamic, especially given this club's desire to load up and, and take a real kick at this can, uh, given the way they've positioned mm. themselves atop both the Pacific Division and the, and the Western Conference. Let, let, let me try to let me, let me let me try a different avenue on this one then with with Patterson and I'm I'm curious about one thing specifically. So with those the other two examples that you cited, the Sedins um, and Stephen Samkos, these were on players that were on expiring contracts that would make them UFAs. This is an yes. RFA. This is an RFA situation here with Pedersen. So it's not as if, you know, the, the Vancouver Canucks are going to abandon control of, of Pedersen if he doesn't sign by season's end. They still have the player. He's just without contract. And here's what I wonder. Like when it comes to expiring deals, I think a lot of players will look at that or other people around the league, whether it was the Sedins or Stamkos, the two that you mentioned, you'll say, you know what? Those players have earned the right you know, when they got there, they have earned the right to explore the marketplace. Good for them. You know, sometimes you want to, you go out there and you see if there's the grass is greener and it turns out it's not and we're going back. And that's what happened with Stamkos and that's what happened with the Sedins. Pedersen's interesting to me because I'm curious about the mood around him within the organization. And my assumption at the beginning of the season was if this stretches into trade deadline time, that as much as the organization will still put on the united front and it says you know we're we're committed and we have you know we're we're happy to negotiate anytime Pedersen wants to negotiate and we all know that it's a very very attractive compensation package which is sitting there and the minute that Pedersen says say okay we're time it's time for the big reveal it will be there but to the best of your knowledge do you know if there's anybody within the organization who's growing frustrated with this at all you know, it hasn't been expressed to me directly, but I, I can tell that that's the case. Uh, I mean, you can tell that that's the case from the tenor of reporting. Uh, you can tell that that's the case yeah. because the club, you know, was optimistic earlier this season and, you know, hasn't been able to get it done. Uh, Jeff, uh, regarding the UFA on uh, RFA thing, by the way, I do think it's interesting. We've seen sort of the lines between restricted and unrestricted free agency blur. We've seen that with, you know, expansive, highly expensive second contracts over the course of the last five, six years. But we've also seen it yep. with how players have exercised, you know, the, their pre-agency rights, whether it's Pierre-Luc Dubois, whether it's Alex Dabrinkit, whether it's Matthew Kachuk, right? The ability mm -hmm. to have control, uh, you know, team control of an RFA in that last year uh, doesn't seem to mean what it did, you know, a half decade ago, hmm. certainly a decade yeah. ago, right? Players seem to be able to call their shot, yep. um, you know, and, and in fact use their willingness to sign an extension, almost like a no trade clause. It, it's a it's a pretty fascinating right. dynamic that I think shapes this conversation specifically, especially because the three guys that I brought up 
um, you know, and, and this has very little to do with Pedersen, well outside his control, well outside the team's control, but certainly shaping the narrative is the fact that all of those guys played for Canadian teams. So, you know, I, I think to some extent yeah. this is also being driven, or at least the conversation around it, by fears that actually have very little to do with this specific situation. Um, and in fact, they're almost being used as like context to fill the information vacuum, which, which is fundamentally where we're at mm. uh, with Pedersen not not exactly being not exactly elaborating on on where he's at, what he sees for his future beyond that. It'll get taken care of after this season. You know, I, th- I think um, and those are excellent points. I, th- I think compounding this, too, is the fact that this is a team that's probably good enough to win the Stanley Cup this year. And here we are, February 27th. And if I would have been saying the transfer, you and I were sitting down. You know, if we had had this conversation <laughs> early September, I said, yeah, you know what, transfer one day in February, we're going to talk about the Vancouver Canucks being legitimate candidates for the Stanley Cup. Uh, it'd say you're crazy. Uh, but here we I are. I wouldn't have believed you. Um, I think that... That, no, I don't think anybody would have like said, okay, yeah, they won't even make the playoffs. Like, you know how tough that division is? Like, you're, you're already eating space cake? What's going on, Merrick? Um, but the, the, thing about, the thing about all of this, too, is, like, legit. Like, the Vancouver Canucks could win the Stanley Cup this year. Um, and I don't think that they want, you know, any distraction. Like, they don't want injuries, certainly. They also don't want distraction like this, but we'll, we'll see how far this goes. So what do you think, like, where are, where, Thomas, where, where are you at on where Rutherford and Alvin are at for what this team needs and realistically what they can get done? Now, having said all this, you cross your fingers that everybody stays healthy um, because that's been just a blessing for the Vancouver Canucks this season. But what do they still need? Like, no team is perfect. Every team has cracks. Every team has holes. What did Rutherford and Alvin do to try to fill Vancouver's? Yeah, you know, when they were acquiring Elias Lindholm from the Calgary Flames, uh, you know, they got pretty deep into talks regarding Chris Tanner. And I think that's a, an mm-hmm. important tell, right? I, I think if they could bring in an additional right-handed defender, ideally a guy who profiles as like a bona fide top four, right? Bonafide second pair guy to help yep. sort of deepen their their defensive group behind this Hughes heronic pair that has played so outrageously well all season, you know, I, I still think that yeah. would be sort of a standout need uh, from the organization's perspective. Um, you know, beyond that, I, I think there's some smaller needs, some, some uh, additional forward size up front, um, you know, another middle six mm-hmm. guy with some size, ideally some penalty killing utility. We've seen teams uh, really yep. working on their head snaps against the Canucks, which which always tells you always speaks volumes about where an opponent <laughs> thinks that thinks that you're vulnerable, right? <laughs> Teams believe that their best shot is to have their games against Vancouver decided, um, uh, you know, between the whistles on special teams. So, uh, you know, yep. an, an additional yep. penalty killing forward, a, a guy with some size, I think would would be sort of a secondary need for this club and then you know some defensive depth beyond that is is something every contender is happy to have if they're lucky enough to play into mid-may or beyond so you know that would sort of be my my tiered list here right right? a a top four defensive upgrade has to be right-handed uh some forward size additionally ideally a middle six guy who can kill some penalties and then, you know, uh, some depth pieces if you're able to bring those types in uh, with a reasonable acquisition cost. So, you know, I, I think that's sort of where the Canucks will will look to if they can continue to buy ahead of the deadline. I think there's no doubt that this is a, a really important opportunity for the team. And in some ways, although the organization will tell you that Pedersen's situation has nothing to do, no bearing on their posture ahead of the deadline... Right. You know, how could it not? 
right? On the one hand, you know, if there's any real uncertainty about his future, then that sort of ups the leverage of going for it now, doesn't it? Additionally, yep. in some ways, it yep. protects you from overspending, right? Because you have a natural way that you're going to replenish assets anyway in the event that things don't go mm-hmm. the way that this club hopes they do. So, um, you know, I, I think this club is certainly... I, they've been this all season, but they remain, I think, one of the most interesting wild cards, right? Very much on the front lines of the NHL early season yep. with a ton of potential to upset the Apple. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, I do love the way you phrase that. No, no, no. He's not a diver. He's just been working on his head snaps. He's just working on his <laughs> yeah. head snaps. That's all. Uh, Drancer, that's, I'm going to be giggling about that line all afternoon. Thanks. Thanks, as always, for stopping by, pal. Always, always appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight against the Pens. Or do we call them v- Vancouver East? Yeah, Vancouver East, for sure. And uh, as um, <laughs> Oliver Stone reminded us, right, when when you're working on your head snaps, it's back and to the left, back and to the left. Yes, that's right. The, <laughs> the great, the great Sapruder film. The greats are very good. <laughs> other than other than the drive, Mrs. Kennedy, how did you enjoy Dallas? Um, thanks, transfer. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Cheers, Jeff. Uh, the great uh, Thomas Strand stopping by here. Okay, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. We'll finish up the program with this one. Dallas, Colorado. Colorado minus one and a half. Man, I am so looking forward to this one. There's 12 games on the board tonight around the NHL. This one is the juiciest. Dallas, uh, one of five straight up in their last six games against Colorado. The total has gone under in four of Dallas's last five games. The total has gone under in four of Dallas's last six games on the road specifically. Colorado 7 and 0 straight up in their last 7 games against an opponent in the Western Conference. Colorado 3 and 7 straight up in their last 10 games. Did I mention that of the 12, this one is the most fascinating for your boy here. I can't wait for this game tonight. Interesting. Read this one on uh, just perusing through hockey Reddit uh, today. Interesting stat about Jamie Ben of the Dallas Stars. Now, you're going to hear a lot about Logan Stankoven, uh, who made his debut last night for the uh, Dallas Stars. Uh, one goal, uh, his first career NHL goal was fantastic. All five foot eight of them. Jamie Ben was on the ice for Mike Medano's last goal as a member of the Stars and was on the ice for Logan Stankoven's first goal. As a star last night, it is Dallas, is Colorado. I love the way historically these two teams have mixed. Let's get it again in the playoffs. That was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Thanks to all of our guests today. You just heard from Thomas Trance, uh, Sean Reynolds on the Winnipeg Jets, Elliot Friedman on everything trade deadline, and Brian Lawton with a great trade, trade deadline scene set from a general manager's point of view. Uh, thanks to all of our crew, David Sis, Lance Kennedy, Jen Rolnick, and thanks to you as well for sticking around for this program as often, as consistent as you do. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Whether it's across the Sportsnet radio network, whether it's on Sportsnet 360, or whether you're taking me in your ears, the podcast version of the show. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me today and always. Back in 22 hours, enjoy the 12 games tonight.